0: All right, and let's just do a quick sound check if people could say things. Sure. Hey,
1: this is this is Benjamin.
2: <laughs> 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 uh, this is Joe. I'm saying things and getting a sound check to make sure that everything sounds right.
3: All your storytelling freaks, thrumming your golden esophagus, spilling floral frilly speech. You are the chosen noisemakers, the rabble that won't sleep. The ugly little secrets walking proudly down the street. Each story holds a thousand seeds. A proverbial pomegranate, a jewel of possibilities, a not-so-silent planet. I saw (laughs) a shit. Like a true
4: podcaster. You may research what's going
1: to happen, but not
0: me. I'm just diving in. (laughs) I know you're taping already, right here.
1: And welcome back <laughs> to
3: the
0: not so One Day Speculative Podcast. Uh, with me is my well-educated co-host,
1: <laughs> Ben Sandel.
0: And our guest for the evening, Joe Bozik. Also joining us, Mr. Matt Alex. And I'm Philip Lowe. I should probably have mentioned that at Mm. some point. And let's dive into our discussion of Joe Bozik's recommendation, which is Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell. Yes, yes. It's a a good book. It's a good book. It's a giant book, ladies
2: and gentlemen. It's It's a doorstop of a book. It is. Uh, In fact, I use it as a doorstop for most of its existence. (laughs) My copy is 839 pages. Um, I'm pretty sure I read it all, but hey, that's, you know, whatevs. Uh, but you can also see it on TV, so that's that's what makes a good book. Um, but the, the the concept of this, the thing that I like the most about it is uh, it takes the idea that magic is real and just builds a world around that. Mm-hmm. Um, and to me, that's, that's a really exciting thing. So it all takes place in, like, the, the early 1800s England. Um, mm-hmm. English magic, as it's known, is gone. Like, nobody practices English magic. There are some people that say they do, but it's not real. Um, or or they're just sort of uh, uh, tricksters.
4: So there's no magical tea times. There's no magical tea times <laughs> or anything like that. So the like nope. person that says they're a magician is doing like what magicians in our world do. Exactly. exactly. Like,
2: car <laughs> trips. And, yeah. Yeah. Is
1: there no. still a magical mystery tour?
2: There is, luckily, but uh, not, <laughs> not for another 160 years. <laughs> That's the sequel. That's the, Yes. <laughs>
4: Um, the long strange trip it's been Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell. <laughs> <Carl. Yeah. laughs> oh, we're <laughs> oh, all <laughs> comedians, yay. My bad. Um. <laughs> <laughs>
2: So, uh, uh, but uh, uh, English magic was a thing, uh, and, and people wrote about it. There are a lot, uh, lots of books, lots of histories, lots of things like that. Uh, and one person, Mr. Norrell, uh, has collected many of these books, and he is actually a practicing magician, but he doesn't tell anybody about it. It's just, <laughs> he's sort of one of the last keepers of it. Um, so that's sort of the... the, the what this world is sort of built upon, just that idea, right? Um, so w- the actual plot of it is that uh, we've got this Mr. Norrell who's sort of keeping the idea of English magic alive um, and like is sort of reluctantly forced to <laughs> do like a little demonstration to a group of people that claim to be magicians.
0: Force Like he wants
2: to and he doesn't want to. He, <laughs> like, he, he, yes, he wants to and he doesn't want to. Um, <laughs> he doesn't want to practice magic be- because he doesn't want people to be excited about the fact that magic actually still exists. Because he wants it to be England. like
4: doing trigonometry, right? Like it should be very like,
2: it's very by-the-book. Exactly. Yeah, it's a it's,
4: thing. It's just very serious. It's Extremely like, serious. Yeah. And,
2: and if you don't know all of the English history, the, the, ma- the history of English mm-hmm. magic, if you don't know everything about it, you're going to mess stuff up. Mm-hmm. It's sort of his philosophy behind it. Uh, so there's like a group of people that call themselves magicians, and they, they keep sort of threatening <laughs> to practice magic or, or you know, yeah. all that kind of stuff. And Norrell's like, no, I'm going to prove that magic still, still exists. But if I do this? You all have to quit. You have to stop pretending you're magicians. So he does this little trick. Um, Magic happens. It's amazing and incredible. Uh, And then to him, that's sort of the end of it. At the same time, there's this character, Jonathan Strange, who sort of discovers that he has an innate ability to do some magic. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think he comes across a spell and is able to actually conjure something from it um, and realizes he's good at it. And then s- hears about Noral and s- tries to start up, like, a, a, a mentorship kind of a thing. Um, it leads to some really fun stuff because it all takes place a- during the Napoleonic Wars. Mm-hmm. Napoleonic Wars. Sorry, Napoleon. Um
4: Neapolitan <laughs> <was> Neapolitanic.
2: Neapolitanic, <laughs> Neapolitanic Wars. Oh, my gosh. I need more water. It's
4: Chimera, but go on. Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, anyways. Uh, uh Are you but, talking about ice cream. Yes,
4: yeah. yes. All right. it's, it's an an the wars between the ice
1: cream wars <laughs> between
2: strawberry, vanilla, and chocolate. Is delicious. Um, I and mean, <laughs> in a surprise ending, <laughs> strawberry wins. Right? What? That's not what? a surprise. That's not okay. <laughs> whoa, whoa, we're learning too much. Bro. Right? Um, but yeah,
0: I'd say a lot of the book is driven by the conflict between these personalities. It is. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that uh, mis- Mr. Norrell is this very curmudgeonly. Bookish type, yes. And Jonathan Strange is sort of this inspired lateral thinker. Yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah. Um, and he's got a lot of passion. He's got a lot of excitement, and that scares yeah. the heck out of Norrell. Uh, which yeah. is, it's fun to see the interplay between the two of them. There's also sort of like this this uh, bigger narrative of like uh, uh, societal expectations mm-hmm. and things like that, that that you know the the two of them are sort of playing up against. Um, But as I was saying, one of the neat things is that uh, this English magic is then sort of brought through uh, to help the English win in the wars by conjuring like giant ships and stuff like that to scare off the enemies, which is fun. I I, I really like that part.
4: That's even done in a surprisingly dry manner, though. Yeah. Like, which I I said I read this back when it was relatively new, like 15 years ago or 10 years ago, whatever. And it, it came out in 2004. Mm, that's okay, correct. So it was roughly new when I read it. But like the the thing I kept having is like, when is like the magic gonna kick in? And that's yeah. what <laughs> it does. It yeah. That's the whole point of the book. And like <coughs> looking back, and now I get that. But like, like when he gets involved in the war, and it's just like, so today I like added some fog and made a road <laughs> not a road somewhere yeah. that I thought it was going. Yeah. And I moved to town like 50 miles to the right, and then put it back once they gave up. And it's like. And he's telling this like while he's like eating lunch. Yeah. And it's like there's no like <laughs> description on the battlefield of what's going on in the chaos and whatever it's just Yeah, I did this whole thing and tomorrow oh my God, <laughs> I gotta get up early so I can make them think the sun doesn't rise for six extra hours so we'll have to jump on them and you're like this is huge Lord of the Rings right. and it's so dry but it's, it, yeah it's all done it's, yeah and yeah. it's like, like I, I, I need to reread this because I haven't since the first time and like sure. I said it was really dry that first time but now I'm like this is really witty in a way that I'm only getting in retrospect. Right. Yeah. So anyway, I didn't mean to totally... No, no, no. Uh,
2: yeah. That's totally that's fine. I, I, I think one of the things I liked about it is that it isn't a magic book. You know, it's not yeah. a book where magic is like, it's all about that. <laughs> but it really is about the relationships and it is about sort of it is some of the personal journeys that they're going on. See,
0: this is one reason why I, I love the whole bait and switch of the climax. Because you you think towards the end, oh, it's leading to this big battle between the (laughs) two of them and they're going to have this great magical duel and everyone around them is preparing for it. And then they finally end up in a room together and Jonathan Strange is like, uh, that's boring. I found this really cool puzzle we should work on. Yeah, <laughs> Is
1: it end with him, like, working on a jigsaw? <laughs> yeah, yeah.
2: yeah, yeah. Like any good book ends. <laughs> there's a jigsaw.
1: <laughs> I mean, there's... It's just there the last 200 pages. Yes. <laughs> there are a few things more English. Yeah. <laughs> 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 and then they finally have some tea. Well, it's, it's a magical mystery Yeah.
2: <laughs> They're magical. They can do that. They yeah.
0: It is very
2: they got the British. British. It is, it is super <laughs> British. <laughs> <laughs> British. Um, no, there is... There, that's sort of like, I, that's half of the book that it, yeah. it sort of gets at that. The other thing that's the going on, the right? jigsaw puzzle is half the book. Um, There's and actually then, a puzzle <laughs> in the back of the book. That's all it is. Um, no, the other thing that happened wait, wait,
1: seriously, they just end with doing a puzzle together?
2: Okay, so
0: <laughs> I said puzzle, you left to jigsaw puzzle, yep. and now you've constructed this. Yeah, I know, but it's, it's now, more what would like.
1: You, what do you mean when you say puzzle?
0: Uh, a centuries-old magical problem that no one else has been able to solve. Okay, yes. <laughs> all right, <laughs> like, yeah. all right. And, Think and, and, Jonathan, <laughs> yeah. and Jonathan Strange saying, wouldn't it be more interesting if you and I tried to solve this problem instead of fighting each <laughs> I other? <guess> I <laughs> doing a Rubik's Cube or
1: something. <laughs> yeah. 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 Yeah.
2: Together. <laughs> that's what counts. It's together. Um, the other thing that's happening within this book is that uh, early on, uh, Norrell sort of gets involved with, with uh, high society um Ooh, and, Right? <laughs> and then there is uh that's uh, pretty much his reaction <laughs> yeah very much <laughs> <la-de-da>. <laughs> um but there's there's one there's one woman in high society uh I, 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 forget, I can't remember exactly who she is um but she dies oh we're talking lady pole lady pole that's yeah. it <laughs> that's
0: she oh. dies
1: oh lady pole yeah
2: we're all on the same yep. page now right
0: <laughs> it happens.
1: Yeah, was she a stripper
2: she was yeah. <laughs> um, she dies it's early in the book so that's not really a spoiler but I mean why are you listening to this anyways um, <laughs> why are but, you listening to this <laughs> uh, but Noral is sort of tasked uh, because the group that he is now in is sort of like oh you can do like parlor tricks and stuff like that but let's see some real stuff happen so, to sort of prove himself, he brings her back to life. But the only way he can do that is by bringing, uh, what is it, the Raven King? Is who yeah, it no, it's, the, not it's not the Raven King. King.
0: It's a, it's a, it's it's a the man with the, the thistle down hair. hair.
2: That's but, who it is. Uh, but he's a fairy. <laughs> yeah. so he has and he's brought hair. Yes. <laughs> in the it looks TV like those show. But bigger. <laughs> uh, but he is brought in to to make this particular spell happen, and this is the first time he's brought been brought back to England in, from the fairy realm uh, in a long time, and he's he's not interested in going back. Uh, so the it's sort of like the 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 second plot of the book is him trying to overtake other people within. Real England, yeah. <laughs> um and to sort of steal them back to the fairy world. Okay, so I'm See, this only is...
4: following like twenty percent. <laughs> sure, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, remember, every sentence that Joe says is fifty pages. That is, yeah, <laughs> like it's this is a big a book.
0: Tome. So, so yeah. this this is yeah. the thing I I, I want to dive on because I think yeah. this is the most interesting because we've we've talked a lot on this podcast about uh magic and stories sure. and how it should. And uh, make sense or not make sense or the... And uh, one one thing I've commented on is I always feel like I'd like to have some sense of the underlying mechanism because otherwise it sort of drifts into like Silver Age Superman territory Mm -hmm. where he just whips out a new superpower to solve a new problem. And the exception, uh, I thought of a couple exceptions, but one I mentioned earlier was Neil Gaiman who is just great at that he tells the story, and I'm like, I couldn't have predicted that, but yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense that the mm. king of dreams could do this specific thing, or mm. that. Ma- and that was how I felt reading a lot of this book, where I never quite understood the underlying mechanism, but it all made sense. Yeah, like, it followed the the fairy tale logic.
2: Right. That like <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like you know that there is like a a. a set of rules that yeah, yeah. governs all of this and we're yeah. never really let in on what that set of rules yeah. are you know uh, what that is uh, so this is
4: the gamble of less information is going to make a better story yeah right or right. people will be frustrated that it seems made up yeah like, which, I mean, regardless but yeah
2: but I, I, I think in this I, I think in this instance it works because uh, yeah.
4: Philip and I have argued about
1: this when it comes to Game of Thrones mm. where I will because you haven't watched the show yet have you I,
0: I watched an episode or two. Yeah,
1: day. he watched it. Okay. Seems I'll ex- dumb. I'll give, ex- <laughs> I'll give you an example of uh, our conversation about Game of Thrones. Philip, you should watch Game of Thrones. Uh I watched it. Where are the dragons? <laughs> this, the magic and the dragons kind of come out slowly, over time, in a, in a more of a dry way, like, it's more about the politics. Yeah. I want yeah. the dragon!
4: <laughs> which was exactly my complaint when I first read the first book. It was yeah. just like, I thought, because I, I went from, like, Wheel of Time to Game of Thrones, and those things could not be farther apart. And didn't just, like, fanboy wankery. For, you know, I wish I had a battle action. Like, there's, there's no... To, you know what I mean? Like, there's no way to, like, leap from the one and just, like, oh, we're going to throw... Weird chicks that all fall in love with the Mary Sue protagonist, and he's going to fight monsters, and there's an evil demon. And of course, he'll defeat it seven books in a row. And then, like, you have Game of Thrones, where you're like, "This is like a Senate subcommittee." here. <laughs> <laughs>
1: That's what I really like about when I watch because I was reluctant to watch Game of Thrones because mm-hmm. I was like, "Ah, oh, fantasy, but too I, many
4: dragons."
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was like, "Too
1: many dragons." But I was yeah. watching. it and I was like, "When when something magic happens, it's." really earned at least in the couple first couple Mm -hmm. seasons it's really earned because it's like it's oh this is a fantasy this this has magic there are Mm -hmm. dragons but when it happens it's uh they don't they don't over it's not oversaturated at all Mm -hmm. it's you you're you're rooted in the story right and pretty much everything that happens up to that point is realistic like medieval storytelling and then you have yeah. something magic, and, then and well, that like, dragons are imaginary it.
4: creatures in our world, but they're just rare in their world. Yeah, yeah. You know, I shouldn't see a white rhino every time I go to Calhoun, like Calhoun. Like yeah. I just shouldn't. Yeah. They're too rare. <laughs> you know, yeah. and you shouldn't see a dragon every Thursday in Wheel of Time or in a. But Game but that's like, exactly have, the thing that that you know?
0: Jonathan Strange almost reverses, and that's yeah. the thing you were talking about in terms of taking something totally miraculous and making it seem really mundane mm. is the, mm. like, you know, yeah Yeah. <laughs> that, that Jonathan Strange is whipping up illusion after illusion. And he's kind of like, eh, it was boring. Very, yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> can I do something cool? Now? Yeah. <laughs> but, but I think the other thing that we've talked about with magic in these is, uh, uh, and, and I do think has a lot of weight for me is the idea that it should have price. You, yep. you can perform miracles, but it should cost something. It yes. shouldn't be easy. And the book does very well. It mind. does, yeah. It, like, I mean, by the end, Jonathan Strange is literally driving himself insane. Yep. He's creating tinctures of madness and drinking it in order to alter his brain. And like, and the Why would he do that? Because it enables him to communicate with the fairy world better at the cost of so being rational. Is the fairy
1: rational. world real, or is it a... Oh it's very real madness. in this book. It is, okay, like, yeah, yeah,
0: th- yeah. There's no uh, so if he sees there's no ambiguity. Well, mad,
1: is he is he really mad then?
0: Oh. I mean it's an altered perception that like he can't
4: function in our world. <laughs> well, he's There's still. some magic, there's some mystery he visits for a short time you could call it a tour. <laughs> <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, what's up? <laughs> Woo!
4: But but, but, uh, but no but <laughs> I mean I would think the the thing I always like for that with cosmic is uh, Constantine. The, yeah. the comics like yeah you, it's you, time you get cancer <laughs> <don't> uh, <laughs> pinkies out. But you, but, like you get cancer yeah. and you have to find a way to cure that which then kills all your best friends because there's you know the swing back on everything you do. like it's nothing is easy everything has a cost and you rarely actually have a net gain mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like as a human or sometimes as like a planet but like you could like i fixed this mm. but everything around it is fucked now and like that's yeah. that's makes you which is why he's so reluctant to do anything yeah he's like you're a dick you have all the power in the world he's like right but you don't get what the consequences are like i could fix your broken leg but then your mom would
3: die tomorrow
0: and and like that's, that's not that, yep good and, and that's that's the whole jonathan strange mr norrell Concept is yeah. Mr. Norrell is introduced as being, like, way too uptight and way yeah. too cautious. Where Jonathan Strange is, I want to explore all this stuff. And by the end, a lot of Norrell's caution is justified. Totally justified. <laughs> like, maybe we shouldn't be meddling with this yeah. shit. <laughs> and that that thing you were talking about, how Mr. Norrell's first big act of magic is resurrecting someone from the dead. And it's, it's a great example of he knows the spell to summon a fairy, but that doesn't mean he's going to serve him or do what he wants. Like you've still got to communicate and bargain. And that one act, I mean, that fairy essentially becomes the antagonist of the series who slaughters and kidnaps and they spend their lives fighting because of this one act.
2: Yep. He impulsively committed. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, The one time that he, he, Decides not to worry about the consequences, mm-hmm. and that sort of sets all of this other stuff in motion. Yeah. Yep. God, so, I guess the question is,
1: why do anything? <laughs>
2: <It is. laughs> you have the like,
1: yeah. like yep. magic? Well, no, well, I just... Yeah, in, general. I, but, but I, in general. in general. But, I mean, seriously, uh, this seems like this is a metaphor for the unintended consequences of trying to help. Sure. Uh, mm-hmm. the, the old, um, I'll save you, said the monkey putting the fish safely up the tree kind of idea of the, uh, when you step in to do something, you have no idea what the consequences. It's sort of like the Star Trek, what's the Star Trek law? Oh, Prime the Directive. Of the Prime Directive. directive.
2: Yeah. Um, but Norrell's choice to take action in this in- instance is for his own personal gain. He's not necessarily saving her to save her. He's saving her to prove to everyone else that he can. And
0: and, and in their conversation, the fairy's like, "Uh, I can bring her back, but I get half her life. And Nora's like, yeah, all right, whatever. That seems fair. I don't (laughs) care. Would it
1: change anything in the story (laughs) if he was doing it selflessly?
4: Yeah. Or does he only do it because uh, of hubris and ego? I, I
2: think in this case, it's more hubris than ego. Okay. And, and I feel like if, if this is
0: again, going into the world of the logic of magic mm-hmm. and fairy tales. And st- the, I, I do think it would make a difference, not in any sort of like rational, logical, this would lead to that thing. But in the world of magic, I would say motives do seem to poison the results in the world of this book.
4: Yeah. I think. Yeah. You know. Interesting. <laughs> <So, laughs> you're going to make me read this big ass ad- <laughs> Watch <laughs> the show. No, 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 just do the everything impulsively is the moral of this thing.
1: Don't have any morals.
4: <laughs> just go forward and yeah. do it without thinking. And then, yeah, hope that your unintended side effect is you die young. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yep. And then you not to worry
1: about and it. And do shrooms. Do, do shrooms.
0: shrooms. Ladies and gentlemen, all four of us agree you should do shrooms. But seriously. little Timmy <laughs> listening to this. <laughs>
1: There actually is a little Little Timmy. Timmy. (laughs) He got a little freaked out because he's on shrooms
3: right now. (laughs)
1: Oh, wouldn't that be great if there was a little Timmy and he was high on (laughs) shrooms? And he was here. He would be so freaked out. You know, in my mind, he's four, four, you
0: monster. (laughs) 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 And we'll be right back, Timmy. You are listening to The Not-So-Silent Planet, a speculative podcast. Up next, we have a submission from one of our regulars. Joshua English Scrimshaw is the co-producer of Comedy Suitcase, dedicated to creating live comedy for all ages, as well as co-host of Get Off My World, a podcast dedicated to Doctor Who, and the Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society podcast, which revisits the great horror and suspense shows from the golden age of radio. Without further ado, enjoy the final chapter of his ongoing serial, Bucky Starburst, junior space cadet
5: and now it's time for Bucky Starburst junior space cadet brought to you by the world's wealthiest fanboy Jasper Tallywacker Jr today's adventure till the end or explosions of explosive exploding death (laughs) But first, a word from our spoiled sponsor, Jasper Tallywaka Jr. Former spoiled sponsor, actually. It is with great pleasure and a distinct feeling of moral superiority that I announce my decision to officially switch fandoms. As of right this second, I will no longer identify as a Bucky Starburst fan. Instead, I will fixate on a new program, Dick Detective, Space Dick. My reason for this change of allegiance is simple. Bucky Starburst has been overrun by fake fans, pretenders who don't even know what model rocket ship Bucky flew in the unaired pilot episode, Birth of the Xenophobe. At BuckyCon this year, I actually heard a grown man utter the following sentence, As long as it's a good story, I don't care if it's canon. What?! That's like saying, as long as it's a nice day, I don't care if there's oxygen. That way lies madness. So I am withdrawing my daddy's financial support of this program and letting it die a hero's death. And guess what? Even if you don't like this story, it's still canon. Because that's what being a fan is all about. Hating the show you love. Now... If you'll excuse me, I'm off to Dick Con to moderate a panel on gatekeeping called Build the Wall. And now back to Bucky Starburst, Junior Space Cadet, for the very last time, apparently. When last we saw our hero, he was trapped on a planet full of evil robots along with his naked hero Tom Cosmic and a future version of himself, but... When Bucky's fungaloid ex partner Captain Gravity aimed a vintage colt at Tom Cosmic's torso, Bucky's future self leapt in front of the bullet, sacrificing himself
6: to save Tom! No! I wailed! You killed my incredibly handsome future self! I yanked Captain Gravity's giant hairpin from my utility belt and flung it at her with a manly battle cry. <laughs> The hairpin pierced a fat green bulge protruding from a rip in her sexy human costume. The engorged postule popped, spraying the room with sticky yellow-brown pus. Imagine maple syrup mixed with bile, but more bile than maple syrup. I'd say maybe a 60-40 ratio. Anyway, Captain Gravity shrieked and staggered through the doorway, retreating into the desert, a putrid trail of goo in her wake like a gastropod with dysentery. ''Okay, we get
5: the picture,'' I said. ''How about I narrate things from here?'' ''Future me!'' Bucky cried. ''You're
6: alive!''
5: ''Please,'' I said, climbing to my feet. ''It might be less confusing if you call me by our given name.''
6: ''Whatever you say, Buckminster!''
5: Tom snickered. ''And I thought Bucky was a stupid name.'' ''But how did
6: you survive a gunshot at point-blank
5: range?'' Bucky asked, standing on his tippy toes to examine the distinct lack of bullet holes in my torso. Personal force field, I said, tapping the tiny generator on my utility belt. The very same force field that saved us when the Space Patrol's space station exploded all those years ago. All those hours ago, corrected Bucky. Time is relative, I said with a wink, but waterbeds are always heavy. Help me move this thing. Tom's bed sloshed and slurped as Bucky and I pushed it against the wall, revealing a large hole in the floor. I realize you have a lot of questions, I said, but I'll have to answer them on my way. I jumped into the hole. Some people like to make an entrance. Me? I'm a firm believer in a surprise exit. I hit the dirt floor of the tunnel and rolled out of the way just as Bucky landed behind me. Seconds later, Tom plopped from the hole, shaggy and naked, like some ancient biped dropping from the trees for the very first time. Look, Buckminster, he said, just because you saved my life doesn't mean I'm going to run after you down a mysterious tunnel asking stupid questions like, Why did you save my life? And where are we going? And damn it, that's exactly what I'm doing, isn't it? Keep running, I said. We're not far now, and to answer your first question, I saved your life because I needed to know if I could alter the timeline.
6: So in your timeline, Captain Gravy shot and killed Major Tom Cosmic.
5: Yes, and that's how it all went wrong. When she killed Tom, I naturally assumed she was doing the posthumous bidding of General Deathcap. Just like you, I wounded her with her own hairpin, but in my timeline, I followed her disgusting slime trail to an underground bunker. Tom stopped running and grabbed my arm. The chamber of I told you so, he gasped. Exactly. It was part of the original Schrodinger's compromise. If the force field surrounding the planet was ever deactivated or circumvented in any way, it would trigger a dead man switch located in the chamber of I told you so, detonating a super bomb powerful enough to destroy the entire planet. Wait, said Bucky.
6: Are you saying Captain
5: Gravity blew up Chapic Prime? "'Yes. That's why she built the force field. "'Again, I indicated the tiny generator on my utility belt. "'It's what kept her alive when the planet exploded.'
6: "'But if Captain Gravity plans to wipe out the robots, "'why in Gaiman's name are we trying to stop her?'
5: "'puzzled Bucky. "'She's a good guy after all.' "'No, she's not. Why do you think she killed Tom?' "'Bucky shrugged. "'Because he's kind of a jerkbag?' "'That is entirely not untrue,' said Tom.' No, I mean, yes, you are a jerkbag, Tom, but no, Captain Gravity killed you because she didn't want the competition. Once the robots were destroyed, Gravity returned to Earth a hero. With Tom Cosmic and Space Patrol gone, the planet was desperate for a leader, and Captain Gravity was the obvious choice, but not a good one. She used humanity's fear of robots to pass laws, banning all forms of space-age technology, dragging the world back to the Steam Age. I tried to warn people to convince my fellow humans that without space patrol we were vulnerable to attack from other planets. But it was too late. Earth was one giant steampunk convention. Brass goggles, airships, organ grinders with clockwork monkeys. Honestly, I could handle a normal dystopia. You know, one with thought police and test tube babies. But cosplay, I mean, how do you fight something so embarrassing? Simple cried Bucky, punching a tiny fist into his tiny palm.
6: You travel back in time to team up with your younger self and a crazy middle-aged nudist to stop that embarrassing future from ever happening in the first place.
5: That's not all, said Tom. You also use your foreknowledge to dig a shortcut to the chamber of I told you so, allowing you to beat Captain Gravity to the super bomb. It's only a shortcut if we don't stand around all day answering rhetorical questions, I said. Come on! And so we ran. Our solidarity as heroes, combined with the cosmic significance of our mission, combined with the fact that Tom Cosmic was humming the theme from Chariots of Fire, made our swift pace feel like triumphant slow motion. But that triumph didn't last for long. We turned the last corner and skidded to a stop. The chamber of I told you so was cavernous, in a way that only a cavern can be. And in the center, on a raised platform, was a giant, novelty-sized lever. Standing beside it was Captain Gravity. The remains of her human suit were gone. She was all fungaloid now. The tiny colt looked ridiculous in her fat green fist. Nice try, Buckminster, she growled. But the next time you travel back in time to foil somebody's evil plan, maybe you should bring a bike lock. That's when I saw it, leaning against the base of the platform, my bone shaker its enormous front wheel still spinning, crackling with temporal energy.
6: She used your own
5: time machine to beat us to the chamber, cried Bucky. That's
6: embarrassing.
5: Wait, said Tom. Your time machine is an old-timey bicycle? That's embarrassing. I told you, I come from a steampunk dystopia, Captain Gravity shrugged. You say dystopia, I say utopia. "'Hey, I know. Let's call the whole thing off!' She fired. The vastness of the chamber made the gunshot sound small and awkward, like the premature pop of a champagne cork seconds before the New Year.
3: "'No!'
5: wailed Bucky, collapsing at the Major's side. Tom was on his back, hands clutched to his chest, blood trickling through his fingers. Bucky looked up at me, and his expression seemed to say, "'The past is like a diaper.' Changing it just buys you time before the next load of crap. Okay, I know that's a pretty specific simile to translate from just a look, but we are the same person after all. Gravity pointed the gun at Bucky. Back away from the naked man, she said. Or you're next. I stepped into her line of fire and said, You'll have to shoot me first. Oh wait, you can't, because I'm wearing the personal force field you gave me. Gravity chuckled. You mean the personal force field I gave you with the remote-control self-destruct function? She reached down to her waist, or at least the halfway point of her fungaloid stalk, and pushed a button on her holster. I slapped the buckle release on my utility belt. It dropped around my ankles just as the force field generator exploded. The blast flung me against the far wall of the chamber. I slid to the ground in a heap, ears ringing, vision blurred. Just for the record, Captain Gravity said, I'm not the bad guy here. Okay, yes, I planted a bomb in Commander Space, blew up the space station, wiped out Space Patrol, shot your beloved Major Tom, and now I'm going to destroy an entire planet. But at least I didn't invent robots. Humans did that. If it weren't for the hubris of your species, General Deathcap never would have crashed on fungus, never would have exterminated most of my race, never would have turned what was left... "'into a mindless army of killer toadstools. stools. "'Be grateful my plan is only to hobble human ambition. "'Your species deserves far worse than top hats and dirigibles. "'Maybe in this timeline I'll regress them back to the Renaissance period. <laughs> "'Imagine it, planet Renfest, "'a whole world built with nothing but turkey legs and unfortunate cleavage.'
6: "'Are you almost done gloating?'
5: asked Bucky because I'm done using the time to my
6: advantage.
5: He plucked something from his utility belt and brandished it like a weapon.
6: See this? It's the personal force field generator you gave me in this timeline. While you were busy monologuing, I reversed the polarity, turning it from a force field generator to a force field disintegrator. All I have to do is touch it against your field and kaboom!
5: (laughs) <laughs> I'll see your kaboom and raise you a kerpluie Gravity yanked the lever, klaxons sounded, and a screen on the base of the pedestal showed a flashing countdown. Sixty seconds to planetary obliteration. "'Seriously?' she moaned. "'A countdown? You humans are so melodramatic!' I tried to get up, but my knees buckled and I face-planted instead. "'Bucky,' I called, "'you have to kill her! "'If she survives, Earth is doomed!' "'It's too late,' said Gravity. "'I've already won. You can't change history. "'I proved that when I killed Tom Cosmic.' "'Mortally wounded,' corrected Tom, stumbling to his feet. No! Captain Gravity cried, firing wildly at the bedraggled hero. Tom danced a jig, dodging each bullet with the miraculous grace of a drunk. Her bullets spent, Captain Gravity continued to squeeze the trigger, clicking in vain at the man who just rewrote history. Before anyone could speak, Tom snatched the force field disintegrator from Bucky and leapt at Captain Gravity. As he hurtled through the air, Tom Cosmic bellowed his last request. When people ask how I die, tell them I left this world exactly how I entered it. Naked and covered in someone else's blood. Tom tackled gravity and just as Bucky predicted, kaboom. When the smoke cleared, there was nothing left of them but a pile of smoldering compost. And on that note, I end my story. The countdown says 30 seconds. 29. 28 You get the picture. Funny thing is, I can't move. My limbs feel strange, insubstantial. I'm fading from the timeline, but that's okay. My mission is complete. Earth's future is safe from tyranny.
6: A face appears in front of me. My face? Hey, the planet's about to blow, and you're fading fast. Do you mind if I use your time bicycle to zip a few minutes into the future? I'm too pre-adolescent to die. Once I'm safe, though, I promise to return to Earth and use humanity's fear of robots and fungaloids and anything else weird or different to build a new, more powerful space patrol. Instead of just protecting Earth, my space patrol will seek out new life and new civilizations and utterly destroy them and if anybody on earth has a problem with that i'll destroy them too because i don't care how much terror and loss of personal freedom it takes earth will never become the dystopian future you fought so hard to erase not while it's under the protection of me earth's supreme leader bucky starburst
3: junior space cadet
2: And should I just jump into it? Or
0: well, uh, first of quickly. all, first of all, ladies and gentlemen, welcome yeah. back
2: to the oh. Nazi Asylum Planet. That's fine. That's it's fine. already cool. It's, it's yeah. Great. yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> Phillips, I was <always> recording us. <laughs> time recording. <laughs> <sighs>
0: Hey, hey, Joe! Hey, hey! I hear hey. you have a story for oh, us. Should I just jump into it? I think, I think you should just jump into All it. All right. Philip really likes though.
3: <laughs> he really
1: likes capturing people's like insecurities between <laughs> between segments. And this is funny because it, I think what you're what you're trying to do is capture like a like a genuine interaction between because we know <laughs> we're not being recorded. We think we're not being recorded, <laughs> right. and so we talk. Which is what is your philosophy behind doing that?
0: Uh, I want a stinger at the top of the episode. Yeah. <laughs> so you think yep. the
1: stingers are,
4: but what do you mean by stinger? It, 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 the little bit you do before. Keep in that. mind well, that yeah. Ben
0: has never actually listened Listen to, to one of our <laughs> episodes. No, I have never <laughs> listened to an episode. Of
4: episode I it's it's it. your restraints.
0: Sir. This is true. <laughs> I pretty much just dubbed racial slurs.
1: But why is the un, unknowing recording the stinger getter?
0: <laughs> I wish I could have come up with something, but I've had four beers. You're a writer by
5: <laughs> profession. Yep,
1: right? So. Uh-huh. it's sad. It's uh, sad. <laughs> I, uh,
0: yes, I do like the genuine quality of people not knowing, in there. I mean, people might be more candid. Yeah, but it's
1: funny because um, <laughs> people aren't necessarily, not necessarily more entertaining when they know they're not being taped,
0: for a given value of entertaining. Like, that's exactly the problem, because everyone on this podcast, we're all performers, and we're always fucking on. You know? (laughs) I was just telling telling a friend of mine of how... Because I'm I'm
1: incredibly socially awkward and Uh, social anxiety. I'm tough. (laughs) And uh, I'm very quiet. I'm a very quiet person, but, like, for this podcast, I will talk way more than I normally will. Mm. Because... It's almost like a performance, hmm. but
4: uh, almost, almost <laughs> a microphone gives you permission to <laughs> yeah. yeah,
0: or the requirement. If I mean, right. there so are people was, listening to this. I hate to I hate to break that to you. <laughs>
1: well, it, it shouldn't <laughs> it shouldn't
0: be a pure performance.
3: It right, should be right, right. Somewhat
1: genuine. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but I was telling a friend that I do like I'll do this regular kind of radio thing where we just talk about politics, and in the breaks, the commercial breaks. Well, like we'll talk, 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 talk on the radio um, on air, and then the commercial breaks, awkward silence Mm. for a full two minutes. (laughs) We're just trying to think of stuff to say to each other. Then the radio, the show comes back on, and talk, 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 talk. It's just a weird. I can't figure out why there's a difference there. And I've been trying to figure that out because if I could just if I could just tap into whatever it is that clicks in my brain when the record button goes on, I could have
0: fluent conversations with people all the time. This is this is an interesting thought that you should ponder for the next five to seven minutes as Joe <laughs> <laughs> reads
2: as his Joe, as Joe
0: has been sitting there
3: hovering <laughs> over <laughs> his story this whole
2: time. I just want my time.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I just want my time. <laughs>
2: Thank you for that introduction. (laughs) Awesome. Love, lift us up where we belong. Far from the world we know where the clear wind blows. Those are the lyrics from an old familiar song, which was meant to sound the alarms to all within earshot, but instead was heard as a misguided call for intimate connections. It was taken as an urge for endearment, thus defeating the reason for the recording. Anyway, I'm here to clear the air and to correct the mistakes made by Joe Cocker and the untamed beast of the British music industry. Again. (laughs) But first, thank you for being here. I come to you as administered by the Department of Atmospheric Clarity and Natural Attractions. I'm here because you're all at that age where you're beginning to consider getting involved with other people. You're thinking about giving yourselves to the whims of a lonely heart and a heated love seat. You're entering a new <laughs> time. You're entering a new time in your life and you need to know the facts about what happens to romantics. Now I look out among you, and I see a sea of furrowed brows, worried countenances, slipping glances at possible attractions three seats over and one row behind. I see crushed velvet sweaters hugging lonely bodies, hoping that by sunrise they'll all have been well felt. I see the instinctual desire to stoke the fire in some smoldering stranger's loins. Ah, the natural reaction to new chills just before the winter solstice. I can also sense the sighs, the rolling of eyes coming from between the aisles. But put aside your discomfort for a moment and allow me to serve you this warning. Infatuation will make you feel like you're flying. Lightfooted, delightful, free. It's an essential part of humanity, a key to the continuation of the species. Without lust, we wouldn't be. I'm not here to dampen the spirits of pursuing a Damper spirit if they're gonna make you sweat I will not shut down that factory (laughs) but love true love the fully reciprocated soulmate dreamlike eternal kind of love will sweep you off your feet and I mean this absolute and literally This is not like some simile to portray an ideal state of being, no matter what you've interpreted coming through in stereo. Love will sweep you off your feet, sending you flying high into the sky, ever upwards. And the spinsters and the old men hanging out of windows, the ones with the unwashed dingy tank tops hanging off their skin, will never see you again. Love will steal you from your home, pulling you through open windows and dragging you head over heels toward the stars, rising up like so many wishes made in the daily late dusk. Let's get down to it, as it's contrary to those songs you've sung along to in the quiet of your 2 a.m. bedroom. Love is not the key to unlock unending bliss. That happiness is found within. Nor is love some fountain of youth which will smooth your skin with a single touch on a snowy, warm winter day. Maybe it is, but you'll never live to see love have its way. Love has its consequences that those mustachioed troubadours refuse to croon about. Love is the end, and when it lifts you up, you do not come back down. The scientists... Have found, 50 miles above the Earth, between the stratosphere and the mesosphere, if you want to get technical, the scientists are apt to do, a layer <laughs> of love-laden corpses floating in that forever eternal joy, having suffocated in the thin air, hands locked with their better half, united and suspended high above Ceres and Lucretius clouds. They have discovered Cleopatra and Mark Antony embracing over the Mediterranean. They spotted Odysseus and Penelope clutched together, blocking our view of the fourth star in Orion's belt. On a crisp English day, Elizabeth Barrett and Robert Browning can still be seen above the coal-burning smokestacks of London at each sunset. Following candlelit confession's vulnerability, more bodies arise, two by two, to thicken the layer of souls who could not suffer to spend another moment apart, plugging the hole of the ozone with whispering final goodbyes in their last wisps of life. And for what reason would they surrender their budding days, to cast them aside like unwanted ballast, just to see one glorious sight? the earth swallowed by the expanding starlit darkness. Perhaps a kiss, a flutter of the heart, was their only desire before the lungs collapsed and their eyes explode and the windows of the soul let free their jailed bounty into the ether. To each of you ready to loose, let loose tonight, looking to find your reflection in the glimmer of some stranger's eye, ah, hold fast. I beg of you, hold fast to this terra firma and keep yourself From drifting above the clouds, steel yourself against the songs of afternoon delight and duets of wintertime evening camaraderie steamier than a Jackie Collins novel. And by all means, (laughs) should you come across anyone who can't keep from winking in that sly, knowing way, who encroaches on your feelings with a hand on your knee, pass these words of warning along. Love will lift you up. That's what your mom and pop didn't mention when telling of the birds and the bees. But as your friendly government (laughs) agent, it is my duty to inform you. A happy marriage is one between friends. But once love enters the scene, the whole damn thing is over. You can follow the smoke from the unity candle (laughs) right on up into the heavens. If your metric for wedded bliss truly is till death do we part, and you uh, want to wait to achieve that end, I recommend staying friends. So go ahead. If the spirit rises, catch the sparkle in someone's eye. Reveal yourself in the dim light of a strange, uh, strange bedroom. Initiate intimate contacts and caress until you're sweating side by side on a discor- discount store satin sheet. Feel tissues, tighten sinews. Breathe in someone else's breath and fill your lungs with their presence. Go swimming in a lake of lust like it's August net water, however hot, is the only way to cool your skin. But heed this, at the behest of the Department of Atmospheric Clarity and Natural Attractions, heed this, never fall in love. Once you feel that tug, (laughs) the only way you can fall is up. And if enough of us do it, as the scientists say, we'll choke out the sunlight while gasping for last breaths in the stratosphere. As Joe Cocker sang, love will lift us up where we belong, from the world we know where the clear wind blows. So let's harden our hearts and stay on the ground. The fate of the earth depends on (laughs) it. Thank you and good night. Awesome.
0: Joe Bozik, ladies and
5: gentlemen.
0: (laughs) You drift perilously close to metaphor. What? (laughs) Wow. Probably. (laughs) No, it was, uh, uh, It strikes me that in some ways that was similar to Matt's story from last episode. (laughs) In terms of taking this sort of metaphorical concept and finding some physical manifestation for it.
2: Well, in my mind, it's more of what if every pop song wasn't... What if it was actually just a warning that oh, it
4: should be eating <laughs> right?
0: The horrible dystopia the, exactly. in which everyone Did, no, who were fell in listen love you listening to that
4: particular one when you had the idea or was that just once you had the idea that was the one you last on I think
2: that I think that lyric I think love will lift us up is <laughs> it, that was the genesis for That's it.
4: So, <laughs> it. So, um, so
2: fun. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> see
4: i'm
0: just sitting here thinking <laughs> love is a battlefield job. yeah love right is- so like i'm going through every love lyric in my head yeah i'm thinking the nightmare world <laughs> <that> it would
5: <laughs> oh, create- yeah
1: oh god no <laughs> Do you take the Bible literally? <laughs> <laughs>
3: Why? Why do you bring
0: it to this place? No one wants this. <laughs> All right. I'll be quiet now.
1: <laughs> Proceed, gentlemen. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> Did you, um, uh, have you written many, uh, speculative fiction stories?
2: No, I don't think so.
1: Have you written (laughs) this story specifically because you were, because of the Nazis Island Planet? Yes,
2: I did. So, Um, how
1: was that experience?
2: It it was really fun, uh, because, uh, because I don't usually think of myself as a writer of speculative fiction, it was sort of interesting to go. Along what what my interpretation <laughs> of that was, um, and uh, I sort of explore that, I really liked it. Um, <laughs> whether or not I uh, uh, succeeded <laughs> is, I think. It's up to someone else to
0: do judge. Do you
1: do you uh, plan to do more of it, or yeah. is it just a one time
2: thing? No, I'll, I'll probably end up doing more of it.
0: Yeah.
1: So
2: you got the
0: bug. I got the bug. <laughs> now,
2: now you now you sound like a
0: Jehovah's Witness. Is it, <laughs> like you're trying to did it, did you like it? Do you want more? Do you want more? Is, like, is it
1: pronounced
4: can, Jehovah? I mean,
0: well, it classically. Yeah. <laughs> <Is it>? yeah, <laughs> yeah.
4: Yeah. Well, la-dee-da. <laughs> Someone sounds like a classic douchebag.
3: <laughs>
4: <laughs>
0: oh, and if only douchebag was literal, what a dystopia that would
1: be. Oh my god. Yeah. No, yes. No. The, the, the uh, table fell have silent. You seen <laughs> the movie Sasha's Party? I have not there seen the There is the any the literal douchebag. Is a character. And the the character is a douchebag. Have you
0: seen it? I have not, but now I know I don't need to. (laughs) (laughs) See, see, Joe took us to this very poetic, (laughs) lovely place, and we immediately took it to literal (laughs) douchebags. We (laughs) dragged your imagination down into the dirt. This is the drunk
1: podcast. Uh, (laughs) For anybody listening, we record two podcasts. (laughs) And the second podcast is the drunk one.
0: (laughs) I mean, technically, they're all the drunk one. (laughs) Well, for you, (laughs) for
1: me, I'm sober the first one. I don't. It does. It does definitely change (laughs) the quality. (laughs) Uh, I can't tell. I can't tell (laughs) how I communicate. Uh, How about you, Matt? How does it change you?
4: I (laughs) I feel like I have learned a lot about love and why I'm bad at it. (laughs) <laughs> um, this explains many of my divorces, not all but many. But
0: according good. to Joe's story, That's being bad at love is a good. She's actually this is, an abandoned <laughs> an
4: awful uh, atmospheric existence. So, uh,
0: cool. Also, I yeah. want to object to the notion that you have never written speculative oh, fiction. Fair I've, I've seen several of your plays that okay, you've done but, with photos. I guess and, that's true, uh, yeah. Some of them, they're parodic, but they include fantastic elements. That is true. Know. That is true. <laughs> um And even fantasy, I, I'm, sorry, I'm jumping ahead because I just reread the... Uh, joseph scrimshaw's book because he's another podcast coming up but the Ooh. which is was that the book he asked you to read his own
3: to be clear
0: to be clear i said hey we should do this he was like uh i'm doing a bunch of stuff i didn't have a bunch of time to prep and i was like well what if we just did your book so it was my suggestion not his Okay to now to right. <laughs> be okay. fair,
4: his publicist sent you a list of things he was <laughs> One of which was, I know you don't have a lot of time, what
3: if we did your book?
0: <laughs> but it was one thing reading it that it contains a lot of fantasy, a lot of sci-fi, a lot of again, yeah. their humor story but he's mm-hmm. very good at uh even in their parodic context, they're like he sets up rules and he plays fair by those rules, yeah. and I feel like you do that even yeah. in these sort of farcical like you still have to set up a problem and even in a joking way solve it in a fair way. That's true. Know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well I mean
4: comedy <laughs> lends itself to the fantastic. I mean the yeah, slapstick. Yeah. Everyone should have be in a coma. Like, you know, so like you already are buying into the idea that this is, but we don't think of it as yeah. Outside the norm, but like that, just, that's just not how the world works. you, know, right. you with a ladder and then pop a light bulb with your head and then not get dragged off in a wheelbarrow. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's just not how the world works. So, like, it's <laughs> no, I've never done speculative fiction stuff outside of doing uh, either the live performances of Not Silent Planet or these couple things. Were you intimidated by the idea of like having to sit down and intentionally do? speculative something? Yeah, I mean, it, it seemed like a challenge.
2: Obviously, it wasn't, because I'm learning now all I've done all this time. Yeah, you should be paying me
4: for that. <laughs> <laughs> call my publicist.
2: But, but
0: even this story was uh both satirical and poetic. And it, you yeah. know, it, it's doing that of, like, it's sort of a joke, and it's sort of doing it in a thoughtful, like,
2: Within universe, sensible way,
5: right? Like, you right. Know?
2: <laughs> yeah. I mean, that—that's the fun thing—is—is—is is, is writing this w- was thinking about what that universe was mm-hmm. and like who, who would be giving this sort of warning? Who yeah, yeah. would be bringing this to at everybody's attention? Um, you yeah. know, I didn't really get into why nobody else is noticing. <laughs> <laughs> loading up uh, to the stars,
0: <laughs> maybe that's draft two. Um, <laughs>
1: But that's the fun well, thing about the speculative fiction yeah. that i've just that the, as i because i'm fairly new to it myself sure and uh but then i started doing it now i i keep doing it because it's because it presents these you have these ideas yeah and then you get to explore the idea in the story and then the story presents to you oh this is a situation that would arise mm-hmm. Considering this technology or this magic that would exist, and now I have to deal with whatever this is presenting, (laughs) and then you have this philosophical problem.
4: Yeah. And see, I took your story not as no one's noticed that people float up into the sky and then live with their corpses or whatever, but the idea that, like, that's considered the romantic ideal. You hope to meet your one. And, you know <laughs> and then, so then you'll floating. know. Yeah, And they're like, there's a practical reason to yes. knock it off. <laughs> like, you know, so yeah. like, it's not that they don't know, it's that everybody's like, oh my god, my Please. parents barely had time to conceive and give birth <laughs> to me. <laughs> because they had to stay indoors the whole time. <laughs> <Exactly. Yes. laughs>
1: I sense uh, I sense yeah. there could be a lot of footnotes in your story. I, yeah, I think you're right. But I think you're right. These things. Yeah. Yeah. You
0: know, it, it, it actually made me think of uh, uh, Pleasantville is a okay. great yeah. example of yeah. like it's an
4: underrated movie, a it
0: fantasy is. story really that is sometimes just just completely hilariously undercutting its own premise and how ridiculous this is, yep. and then suddenly is like very invested in its premise yeah. <laughs> and what it means for the people living it and the yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> good point. You should end every review with and. uh
0: yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I am a theater critic by no. trade. I should end every review with just a bunch of ellipses <laughs> and, and so, a shrug. Yeah. So, um, yeah. All right, then. All right. Well, <laughs> that is, uh, the end of this section, and, uh, yeah. <laughs> Tammy. <laughs> <laughs> You are listening to The Not-So-Silent Planet, a speculative podcast. If you're in the Twin Cities metro area and would like to hear some live storytelling, or even sign up to perform yourself, we present a recurring monthly open mic at Kieran's Irish Pub in downtown Minneapolis. More information about this and many other spoken word events in the area are available at wordsprout.org. And now, back to the podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Not-So-Silent Planet A Speculative Open Mic Podcast. Did you record, did you record that part? I don't know. I might have. <laughs> Who knows what I do? I'm a mystery. I contain multitudes. He has only
2: recorded the breaks.
0: No, <laughs> <laughs>
1: Oh, that's okay. So the podcast gonna be really short. Yeah, Caleb it just understood that he didn't. He forgot to apply to the uh,
0: <laughs> in May, which he currently is. So you know, there's that.
4: Yeah, deadline was in April.
0: Good to know. I'm glad we're recording this too. I am a competent producer. Anyone listening to this. Yeah who may want to hire me for, you know, any capacity. (laughs) Also, hey, guys, the Twin Cities Horror Fest is coming up. It is. Who knows who's going to be in it? (laughs) No. no. (laughs) Uh, But just putting that out there. So if you're listening to this and in the Twin Cities metro area, you should look at tchorrorfestival.com
4: use Is google yeah. yeah no, one Just needs use no one google. anymore. Just, yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah but http uh, <laughs> <yeah>.
0: colon <laughs> slash
4: slash but yeah Cities horror festival uh happens every uh roundabout halloween time a bunch of mostly live theater with the exception of when my particular group of comrades participate in which case we do a short film festival uh, everything else that was live on stage in front of you, uh, dance, straight-up theater, comedy, spoken word, storytelling, could be anything. Uh, it, it, there's a variety of stuff. You can get passes to let you watch the whole thing. You can come just for individual shows. Uh, there's all kinds of fun to be had, uh, if you like. But why wouldn't settings. you come to all of them? I Honestly, yeah. I go see everything <laughs> every year, and I go see most things at least a couple times because it's, it's always really cool. There's always a couple out-of-towners that you'll only get to see here. Uh, so that's always rad, but it's, uh, you know, if you like horror and weird shit, uh, this is a <laughs> unique way to see it presented because you don't often see that form of entertainment presented outside of film in most places. That's kind of, uh, somehow film has landed uh, its position as the purview of most sci-fi and horror and weird shit, and uh, <laughs> this this festival will prove to you that there's no reason that that has to be the case because... Some of the creepiest, goriest things I've ever seen have happened on that stage. And uh, some of the weirdest premises have been pulled off. (laughs) Uh, You'd be like, there's no way you could do that on stage. That's impossible. And then you see it and go, oh,
3: shit.
0: So in the off chance that anyone listening to this speculative fiction podcast knows someone who likes horror and weird shit, Hmm. you should let that person know that it's I said sarcasm in your voice. Do you? Yeah. Do you sense sarcasm and in my <laughs> voice? It's <laughs> Crazy
1: <laughs> that I would sense sarcasm in your voice. Oh. Uh,
0: we'll just have <laughs> <this>? <laughs> All right. <laughs> hey oh, Joe. Hey me. Laws of semiotics. Yes. Boom. Here we go. I'm going to draw one of these out of a hair. This is going to be so confusing for anyone for whom this is their first episode. <laughs> why is the why
1: what is the laws of semiotics?
0: They are laws of writing. Okay.
1: Yeah, I yep. accept your premise. Is that it? Is that sure.
0: It? Why not? <laughs>
1: okay. <laughs> Crowdsource. <laughs> 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 <laughs>
2: yep. An example of one would be this.
1: <laughs> we pull him out of a hat, <laughs> which Joe just did.
2: Yep. An author must not underestimate the intelligence of non-human beings. I would I would agree with that. I think that's important.
0: So are they addressing those stories in which humans are brilliant adventurers who encounter... The white man's uh, bird. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. The, yeah.
4: Which I would agree, yeah. I mean, there is something to be said for the idea that if you have a multitude of creatures, mm-hmm. races, beings, some variants in intelligence where some are smarter than humans, some are not as smart. Mm-hmm. That's fine, but if the idea is like, look at how we Star Trek our way into a thing and solve that planet's problems, that's troubling. Like yep. a lot of Manifest yeah. Destiny. Yes. 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 You know, like that's, yeah, I would agree with that generally. See, yeah.
0: and I'd say that's subverted really nicely, even in the early days of science fiction with uh, the War of the Worlds, where mm. an alien race comes in completely subjugates us. We have no meaningful response to it. Mm -hmm. And then they happen to be defeated by a biological quirk. The idea of the
4: alien conqueror is often someone smarter than us. Sometimes it's a mindless space beast or whatever. Well, I'd I'd say,
0: I mean, Wells was, I'd argue he was trying to do like a subversion of colonialism thing thing of like, this is what it looks like to everyone we conquer. (laughs) Yeah, it Uh was certainly not said that everyone's
4: doing it wrong, but it's, Uh We, we've got enough history at this point to try to, <laughs> try to do better. <laughs> I would say it seems fair.
0: All right, Matt, would you like to do the next Law of Semiotics?
4: Only if you say it like that. <laughs> <clears throat> oh. Okay. Not every legend is based on truth. So, not every one <laughs> chosen one, and mm-hmm. turns out our protagonist is exactly that person. <laughs>
0: Timmy, put the mushrooms
4: down. <laughs> I, I, I actually, I dig that. I, yeah. I tend to roll my eyes when you have a chosen one story. Right? Yeah. And the fact that, especially if it's, you know, the, the fucking. Um, you know John Carter from Mars, whatever. You yeah, have the guy that is, because kind of combined. And that's, that's a full, colonialist story exactly. too. <laughs> you know, a white guy goes to other place and happens to fit the narrative of their savior, or the fucking Avatar thing, or like there's a million stories <laughs> that that kind of combine the two. You know, legends tell that some guy that looks a lot like a European <laughs> <laughs> will come and save us from someone who looks like an even more evil-looking European. <laughs> and... Getting away from that, I think, is fine. And having someone be like, oh, Harry Potter actually touched on that. Mm -hmm. The idea of, like, oh, there's the whole idea that, you know, Voldemort's the great evil and you're the person that can fight him and, Mm -hmm. you know, only you and it's why. It's because we started saying that. There's no reason anyone else couldn't have stood up to him, but we all kind of waited for you to do it because we're all scared of (laughs) him.
0: It is one of the things I actually liked about the Harry Potter books, one of those little sort of... uh, Those little redeeming moments
4: that J.K. Rowling does slip in, but she does do the... My kids liked it, but I was never a huge fan. But I was like, oh, that's actually cool. There is no no destiny. The
0: the prophecy uh, where Dumbledore just says to Harry, the prophecy could actually apply to two people. One is you and the other is Neville Longbottom. Yep. But that's dull.
1: dull, um, (laughs) Saying that the prophecy is real. Sure. So, I the mean, I think history, world not world every world legend is based on truth. We look yeah, at yeah. our own reality like we know Paul Bunyan isn't real.
3: What? <laughs> <laughs> <Mikey laughs> we all our legs. We were all waiting <laughs> for <laughs> that. <Yes>. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but I, I feel like there's a little, it's just difficult in a story to bring up a legend, especially if you're doing a speculative story. Um, it's sort of like Chekhov's gun. If you're going to mm. mention a legend, yeah. it's gonna the audience is going to expect that legend to come true at some point.
0: I I I have a story forming in my mind that will be of like two people who get sucked do the whole like sucked into a fantasy world thing and one guy who is so invested in the being the hero of legend and studying every prophecy and the like and the other guy who's like, You're a
4: douchebag (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to blow my (laughs) wad on this because if if I were ever to be on the show again, I now know. uh, But there's a book called uh, Crap Kingdom, Crap Kingdom, Crap Kingdom, and it's a young boy has a little creature pop out of somewhere and be like, you're our chosen one. You're the hero that was foretold. Hmm. You're going to come save our kingdom. And there's this whole thing. And he goes there and it's just kind of (laughs) junky and gross and kind of shitty. And so he's like, this place sucks. Like, I, don't, I don't want to be your leader and hero and whatever and kind of goes home <laughs> and they're like but and then a lot of things ways he's like no nah, I'm like no we've moved past you <laughs> it's this whole thing and like that's that kind of, that idea of like, the prophecy and they're like oh he's a dick and he's like yeah but your place sucks like, someone wrote that book. I see <laughs> like that. Is see a, a book, book
1: like do. that get... Like, it's so hard to get...
4: <laughs> yeah. It's so hard to get published.
1: Somebody went up to a publisher was like, I got an idea for a book. It's called Crap Kingdom. <laughs> and they're like, that sounds brilliant.
0: Yep. There, there is a great XKCD comic because it's an they're XKCD comic yeah. for everything. Yeah. But the... It's, uh... Someone walking up to a sword in a stone, pulling it out, and then the light comes from the sky and says, "You shall now be the king of all England." And then he sort of pulls out his phone and pulls up mm-hmm. the Wikipedia page for England, <laughs> and then he puts the sword. <laughs> <in> <laughs> <and come on. laughs> it's all good. Oh. All,
2: right,
0: all right, Ben. Last law of semiotics.
2: Oh, I got a long one. Oh, oh, wow. Ooh, Jesus.
1: An author, when using constructed words, must commit to constructing a full language unless they. Alrighty, this has lo- <laughs> <is> lost me. <laughs> must commit to constructing a full language unless they have a damn good explanation for why different words are being used for mundane objects.
4: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. so you don't <laughs> just say for one word, but I want to speak basic or English? You should either speak another language. That's what I'm. That's what I'm getting, getting out of it. This yeah. is
0: Krevlok, which is wine, but it glows. Yeah, <laughs> if like,
4: well, then if you can speak all the rest of our language, you would just say it's wine. this is wine from where I come from. Yeah. I get that. That's annoying.
0: It's it's the throwing in an invented word mm-hmm. for a small handful of things without trying to well, build it up sure like a logic your is
4: exotic or from somewhere else or yeah. is speaking another language, even though we're hearing their real.
0: Yeah,
4: it, we're hearing them in
1: our i mean if it's a unique thing they're talking about where it's not necessarily the wine of mm. their culture it makes sense something yeah. Original, yeah. right because right. that is but it does say
2: being for used thing. for mundane objects yeah Yeah, i
0: actually saw that and this is such a thing in uh the theater world in terms of like when you try to do a quote-unquote multicultural play and uh I I spent a lot of time in children's theater that abused this shamelessly (laughs) in terms of, like, he would do uh, an Asian play in which everyone spoke to each other and they spoke in what sounded like badly translated English mm-hmm. you know it's greetings honorable father I am like you know that kind of, of well, the, it's well, like it's, but this it's, isn't it's how the, they sounded to each other right, <laughs> right. <That's> how, like,
4: <laughs> well it sounds like bilingual kids programming that like how yeah, yeah, Kylan oh. and now we talk about things in English and it's like <laughs> you why know. don't you just say hi <laughs> no,
3: like, or okay.
4: handyman is always like one word out of 70 is in Spanish and it's yeah. like, then what the fuck? Like just either yeah. do an actual immersion thing, which I is totally fine. Yeah, whatever, yeah, yeah. But like it is weird when like yeah, one word out of every four sentences is just in a different language. What well, I think, like you said, like if it's yeah. a mundane one to one.
0: Oh yeah, and I, I'm thinking like again, I was with uh, a youth theater for many years, which has sense closed, so I can so say all this shit. The, but like again, doing the multicultural thing in the most clumsy, ham-fisted yep. way possible. Of like, like every time an African play was done, there would be a drum on that stage. <laughs> My yeah. God. Oh. You know, the, and I know the spirit behind it yep. was you know well meaning, yeah. but like it came across as the most like condescending. <laughs> what do they say about
1: good intentions <laughs>
0: mm-hmm.
4: <laughs> yeah I, mm, I think I can get behind this one like,
0: <laughs> yeah if you're going to invent words invent I, a logic to the well, words right, yeah. as opposed I mean, to yeah. just throwing yeah.
1: them into
4: I things like, where like, and you see this in you know comic books or in movies or whatever where they have like yeah. the first couple things someone says are either in weird gibberish or fake letters in a comic book or in something mm. like you don't know and then you have kind of the idea of, like, oh, the person has either learned that language. Yeah. 13th Warrior does it clumsily. Yeah. Uh, or uh, they just kind of go, okay, and then translate it to, usually they say basic or common yeah. or something. And then it's just like, okay, so it, it's in a different color, so we know that they're speaking their language, but we're going to see what they're saying, because otherwise this book's going to be weird to read. <laughs> it's going to turn into Star Wars holiday special. And that, and like, yeah. I, I get that. Like, there's some yeah. some idea of, like, okay, these two creatures can, well, they're fucking Guardians of the Galaxy. Like... Yeah. Groot speaks, I guess, I think Groot is a species too, right? But Rocket can obviously understand him. Damn. And same thing with Han Solo and Chewbacca. Right, you know? right. So you're speaking Keshekian Ian, or whatever it is. And it's like, okay, they can understand each other, but we don't need to have like Chewbacca say, well, time to activate the... We <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. you know what he's saying hyper. So yeah, just yeah. have him say hyper. If he can say, we need to activate and drive, <laughs> he should be able to say hyper too. I, I so, think
0: one of my yeah. favorite subversions of this I saw was in the Why the Last Man comic mm-hmm. book, which is just, like, frickin' amazing, and it I really recommend it recommend no, it. But uh, there's one character who's a Russian agent who is trying to, like, make her way across America and clearly does not have great English. So she always sounds like, um, please help. Like, she's really struggling. And then finally, like, about halfway through another character... Speaks to her in Russian mm-hmm. and she immediately responds, Oh, thank god, I sound like a complete idiot <laughs> when I try to talk. To you, like, okay, here's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I think it's kind of this.
4: Yeah, yeah, unless yeah. the language barrier is central to your plot, yeah, then that's just kind of silly, right?
0: Yeah. All right, cool, all right, we'll always leave them on a strong note <laughs> yeah, <everybody's guys>.
1: talking <laughs> about language barriers and whatnot.
0: I know we will be back. <laughs> Someday. All right. I
1: always
3: not from a friendly (laughs) Yeah. Each story holds a thousand seeds. A proverbial pomegranate. A jewel of possibilities. A not so silent planet a not so silent planet a not so silent planet